Never before have we had a monetary network that all you need is an internet connection and by plugging in and operating on the same standard, you're natively interoperable with everyone else in the world. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom and welcome to my lightning series. I've got another great show for you today. But firstly, a big thanks to Ben for taking over on the intro last week. I was in hospital recovering from back surgery and I just didn't have it in me to get the recording done. So thanks, Ben. Thanks for doing that. Now, I do have some time until I'm fully back on my feet, but when my doctor gives me the all clear, I'm going to be back traveling in the world and documenting the growth of Bitcoin. I've got my sights set on Nigeria, Lebanon, Palestine, back to South America. To be honest, I want to go anywhere where there's interest in Bitcoin and show you what's happening. So fingers crossed, I'm going to be back on my feet soon. Anyway, how are you all? And welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And back on the show, I've got my boy Jack Mallers, where we're going to be talking about Bitcoin being an open monetary network and why it's the best money in the world. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And first up today, we're going to be kicking off with Revolut. Now, as many of you know, Lloyd's TSB, the bank that I had used for 25 years, closed down all of my accounts recently. They clearly don't like Bitcoin. But Revolut got in touch. They said, Pete, come on, join us. Become a Revolut customer, check it out, see what you're missing. And I did. I moved all my banking services over to Revolut, did it in about two hours. It could not have been easier. They love Bitcoin. They want to support Bitcoin. They want to help people like you be able to transfer your money to exchanges to buy Bitcoin. And Revolut are offering new customers a £20 or $20 bonus when they complete three card transactions. Now, it only takes a few minutes to set up and you can create a card and add it to Apple Pay immediately to get that cash in your pocket. Now, I would recommend converting that straight into Bitcoin because that's who I am. I'm a Bitcoiner. Now, this is a new relationship and I'm working with the Revolut team to help them build a bank which is Bitcoin and friendly. There is a lot to navigate, but we have definitely got this. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to revolut.com forward slash WBD. That is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have is BlockFi and I'm pleased to announce they have launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn Bitcoin because you earn 1.5% back on all purchases with no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack stats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. As I said, 1.5% in Bitcoin on every single purchase, but you can earn 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership, and you can earn 2% back in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend. What an amazing way to stack sats. If you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using the same NanoS I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And if you are an Android phone user, you can connect that to your Nano S and manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And also, let's talk about Gemini, my exclusive exchange partner, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I have not sold one single sat with Gemini. Because why would you? I just want to stack those sats. So I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, 
but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And you know what? I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, and that is all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Okay, on to the show, and I have my boy Jack Mallers back on what Bitcoin did. You know I couldn't do a lightning series without getting Jack on, right? And he brings a fire. You know what Jack's like. He brings a fire all through this show. Now, over the last year or so, Strike has changed the game for remittances and payments using the Bitcoin network, and both Jack and Strike were instrumental in El Salvador's decision to make Bitcoin legal tender. Now, Jack is killing it, and one of the most passionate people you will ever hear talk about Bitcoin. And now he has changed the game for remittance payments. He's not done. And now Strike are allowing users to buy Bitcoin without even charging a fee, bringing down the cost of Bitcoin buying. Jack kills it as ever. I know you're going to enjoy this one. You're going to get fired up. You're going to be sharing this shit on Twitter. I know it. I know what you like. Anyway, if you've got any questions about the show, you can reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com and you can jump into my Telegram group. Over to Jack. Let's hear what he's got to say. Sup, brother? Yo. <laughs> Yo. Yo. How you doing, Jack? Sup. Sup. I am fantastic. Better that I'm talking to you now. I'm glad, first of all, that you're healthy. You look happy. My sweet dear Pete, my Bitcoin boyfriend, my uh, filmmaking mate uh, was in pain. So I'm happy you're healthy, buddy. And uh, it's good to be here. Thank you, brother. It's good to have my back back to normal. Uh, <laughs> give, me, give me a few weeks and I'm going to be back traveling and I'm going to be making more films and doing cool shit. But it's becoming a regular thing, man. We talk a lot at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. We're like best friends. I know. Well, no, that's Dylan, dude. <laughs> I can't do yeah. it as well. I actually, uh, the last time we spoke was obviously the big El Salvador reveal and such. Yeah. I, I want to make, because you do these with video, right? I just recorded yeah. one with Preston and his is no video. So just for everyone at home, the reason I'm looking to my left is because that's where Peter is, but my camera is right here. So oh, I don't they think have you're any- looking at notes. Yeah. They think I'm like, I have a cheat sheet or something. Uh, like I'm taking a test. So I just wanted to say that, uh, and I don't know how to really remedy it because I could look here, but then I'm not looking at Peter. And so you, put the camera, you need to put the camera over the, over the computer. Yeah. Should I try that now live in Let's real do time? It. Let's do it live in real time. Let's fix this. Because <laughs> so they're, they're going to listen go, Jack's looking, my, looking at his notes again. <laughs> yeah. It's my actual laptop, though. So this may get messy, but uh, this is what it's about. This is uh, podcasting in real time. Ooh, there we go. You get to see my water bottle and my beverages. Okay, so now the camera's below where you are, but at least I'm like in the relevant direction. Yeah, and 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 you know what? The funny thing is, there's no notes on this one because nobody knows. I haven't told you what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I know. And look at I gotta get a haircut. Bitcoin community. I've been so busy. We're gonna toss this back. We're gonna put the hood on. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I did. I did an interview. I did an interview the other. Day. I look like a fucking moron. I'm too old for this. I did an interview the other day with uh, Lord Fortisu. I always can't say his name right. The guy from Tonga. And I mm-hmm, went online mm-hmm. and like the dude. He, he didn't have his top on because uh, he's in hospital and he's like covered in tats. So I took my top off. And I did my first topless one, but I think, <laughs> I think I look more of a moron with my hood up. No, nah, that's what the cool kids do, do, man. 
Yeah, I'm not a kid anymore, man. I can't do this. Anyway, brother, listen. I'm doing a lightning series, right? Uh, I did this whole lightning month. I can't remember when it was. Ages ago, like a couple of years ago. And then people keep asking about lightning. So I'm doing a lightning series. I can't do a lightning series without talking to Jack Marlers. So here we are, man. How are you? How is changing the world going? Are you on top of your shit? How are you, how are you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I was born to do this. I don't know if I'm changing the world, but uh, I'm certainly trying to be as helpful as I can and build cool software. Uh, and I hold very, very, very strong opinions, as everyone knows, and I like to stand behind them and work towards them. So another day, another dollar, man. Uh, I'm just thankful to be alive right now, honestly, while Bitcoin is changing the world and playing my small part. Fascinating times, man. Well, listen, look, uh, one of the things I've talked to people about a little bit with Bitcoin, I've been really fortunate to travel the world uh, with this job. I've, I think I've been to like 30 countries, maybe 35 countries. And one of the things that I think sometimes Bitcoiners miss is if they're just sat in like the UK or in America, they don't understand the different use of Bitcoin in uh, countries which are in a different economic situation. Uh, they don't understand about the different requirements with regards to security. They don't understand how much money they have, like how on-chain fees will affect people in, in certainly economically challenged places. So when we look at El Salvador, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time discussing El Salvador. We were there together. You explained to me the whole project you were working on with Strike. We discussed everything that's happening with the president, the stuff that was happening with the writing of the bill. But realistically, without the Lightning Network, what's happening in El Salvador wouldn't be possible. You know, it, this all this couldn't have been done on the base chain, right? Yeah, of course not. Um, you know, hopefully the general public knows now, but the base Bitcoin blockchain wasn't optimized for what El Salvador is trying to accomplish, what Strike is trying to accomplish. Uh, it was, it's not optimized for cash finality. Uh, Bitcoin is a bare instrument; it's natively digital bare instrument. Um, but the base blockchain is optimized for achieving consensus, uh, being able to instill a hard money monetary policy within a distributed network, perform a financial service without the need of trust. And then if you can build a base blockchain that is optimized around robustness, security, uh, an ability to scale infinitely, no matter your latency or hardware requirements and be ultimately inclusive to anyone joining, then in theory, you should be able to scale protocols upwards in layers. And that's what we saw with the internet. And that's what we're seeing with Bitcoin. So for those familiar with Bitcoin, it's an initial intent, how protocol scale, how the internet scaled, um, everything is going according to plan. Obviously, unfortunately, there's some disagreements and debates along the way. Um, but from a super high level, Bitcoin is absolutely crushing it. And Lightning allows this bare instrument to have instant, relatively free global cash finality. And it's not a coincidence that all of a sudden a country like El Salvador has a particular keen interest in that. Yeah, I mean, it was a real eye-opener for me traveling there because the thing about the Lightning Network is it was something I touched on a couple of years ago, but I was never using it, right? I, I had no need for it. So, I, you know, just being an ignorant uh, Westerner, I kept thinking well, why do people care about the Lightning Network? Well, you know, I'm I'm happy with the base chain. I tend to use it for transactions that are over you know hundred dollars, usually thousands. I'm doing invoices. I'm you know uh, paying off certain bills or paying off certain contractors. I've got no need to spend a couple of dollars 
the Bitcoin. So I, I was like, my whole time, I kind of had this nagging doubt that that we didn't need the Lightning Network. And then I head over to El Salvador, and I don't have any cash on me, but I've got my Bitcoin wallet. Everywhere now accepts Bitcoin. Pretty much, I think there's like one restaurant that doesn't. So whether I'm going to buy a coffee down at Garten or whether I'm going to buy a pupusa, I didn't even have to worry about dollars. I was using Lightning Network, and it, that's when it hit me. It was like, oh shit, this is why it's all the work's been front run for these use cases for all these places where people need it. Yeah. So the mental model that I use that I think is actually tremendously helpful is trying to abstract any particular use case and understand I fundamentally believe that the Lightning Network is one of the more impressive advancements for money as a technology in human history. And trying to isolate that concept. And then why would someone like Starbucks be interested in Lightning? Why would a country be interested in Lightning? Why am I interested in Lightning? It all starts to make a little bit more sense when you understand the high-level concept and how it's moving money as a technology forward. So never before have we had, first and foremost, an open monetary network. So this is a monetary, traditionally we have the Visa monetary network, the Square monetary network, the PayPal monetary network, the SEPA monetary network, the ACH monetary network. Never before have we had a monetary network that all you need is an internet connection and by plugging in and operating on the same standard, you're natively interoperable with everyone else in the world on it. Never have we had a monetary network that can achieve physical bare instrument clearance without any intermediaries, without any sense of credit. That requires a natively digital bare instrument that is Bitcoin, right? That's a precursor requirement to having that experience. Never before have we seen a monetary network able to achieve final clearance and cash finality physically as fast as this monetary network. Never have we seen one been able to clear as cheap, which is could be literally free. Uh, and so all of these things encompass, now you have a monetary network. It's the fastest monetary network on the planet. It's the cheapest monetary network on the planet. It's the most global monetary network on the planet. It's the most inclusive monetary network on the planet. It's the only monetary network that works for every single individual on the planet, given a simple internet connection. Uh, it's the first open monetary network on the planet. And so by plugging in and being interoperable with it, all the MIT professors that are really working hard on cryptography are now working for you. Jack Dorsey and his Bitcoin work at Square is now benefiting you. Coinbase going public benefits you. Jack Maller sitting in the women's closet hacking on strike benefits you. Bitcoin core developers in London benefit you. You get these inherent network effects and economies of scale that you simply can't defeat or compete with, right? Like open, open networks generally exclusive of monetary, but just throughout human history, open networks defeat closed networks. We saw that very clearly with the internet as the last like blatant example. And so we're starting to see this now with the world's first open monetary network. So if you just look at that concept in isolation, you say, well, how can those advancements, those are very clear defined advancements for monetary networks that we've known prior 20 years ago before I was born. And so where can they be applied? Well, if you have a country like El Salvador, this is a country where over 70% of the population, active population doesn't have a bank account and doesn't have any monetary network. They operate strictly on cash. So now all of a sudden they have native access to a monetary network out of the box, given a mobile device and internet connection. Boom. That's huge. All of a sudden, you have a monetary network that can achieve physical bearing instrument settlement without any intermediaries. So without Western Union, you're not talking about a country that's heavily reliant on remittance. That's a huge deal. Now you're talking about a country that's tremendously under-resourced compared to the developed world. They don't have MIT professors. They don't have engineers at Square. 
They don't have a women's closet in Chicago. But by plugging into this open monetary network, they gain all the network benefits of all of those things. And so now you're starting to understand, okay, well, if we just encompass and take a a high-level look at why this is such a tremendous development and advancement for humanity, why it makes a lot of sense for El Salvador, but also for a large retailer like Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts right now gets charged 300 basis points by Visa to achieve final clearance. The Lightning Network charges zero basis points to achieve final clearance. So in theory, it would make a lot of sense for them to entertain it too. It would make a lot of sense for cross-border payments. It would make a lot of sense for everything, right? Like everything that... Dude, when I used to travel, and I travel a lot, um, I used to always just take my card and, you know, maybe there were better ways to do it. Maybe I could have withdrawn some money and paid cash and, you know, whatever. But everywhere I went and I used my card, I would have a fee, right? There's a fee that they charge to mm-hmm. uh, to the, uh, the the recipient. Say I'm going to Starbucks. They charge Starbucks a fee for me to be able to pay with card. But I was also be, pay, paying an international fee. And like every, it was like mm-hmm. maybe 50 cents or a dollar. And every time I swiped my card, I used it. When I was in uh, El Tunco, just down the road from uh, El Zonte, I was with, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. What's the name of the guy with the coffee shop? I think it's Luis. Yeah, I was at his place, right? So I go and I, I'm, I, I and I'm having a coffee. There's like four of us having a coffee and I pay for it. My fee is whatever, that low sat number, significantly under the amount that Visa charges uh, uh the, the retailer and also charges me. So that was like, you know, when I went out there, we were talking a lot about remittance. As a, like, this is going disin, to uh, disintermediate the remittance market. But actually, in some ways, like this is a massive threat to Visa over a long enough time scale. They've lost part yeah. of my... Well, they've lost part of my business. Think about this, right? I'm going back out to El Salvador in August. I'm taking my Lightning wallet. Yeah, I'll have some dollars, but I'm going to be using... Every time I buy using my Lightning wallet, I'm taking business away from Visa. And I'm just like one person. This is very early on. But as this grows, this continues to take business away from Visa. Yes. Uh, It should, in theory, dematerialize all existing monetary networks over a long enough time frame. And like I said, exclusive of monetary, exclusive of Bitcoin, over a long enough time frame, any open network should defeat all closed networks and swallow them up. Uh, But let's break down what you just said. So one, it was cheaper for you to perform that financial service. Why? Because again, there's a plain and daylight innovation in achieving bare instrument finality. It de- you know, when you make a visa transaction, the amount of intermediaries and settlement parties that are included in your m- pounds going from your visa card to the Starbucks acquiring merchant, there's a lot. Visa can't charge 10 basis points. They'll be at a loss. There's so much fixed cost and balance sheet flow and credit issued in order to achieve that sense of finality and for them to assure Starbucks that that transaction is going to clear. Okay. And so now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're able to achieve bare instrument finality, physical finality, peer to peer. And in theory, that reduces the cost to a couple sats or near zero. Another really interesting innovation from the story you just told is that there is a monetary network where a barista in El Salvador was somehow interoperable with you. You're from the UK. How is that possible? They couldn't accept Visa there. They didn't have a card processor. I was in Tuco. There wasn't a card processor there. They couldn't be interoperable with the Visa network. But they can with the Bitcoin network because they had an internet connection. So it's the most phone. inclusive. And a phone. It was the most inclusive monetary network available. 
And by plugging into its open standard, you didn't have to go submit an application. You have to sign an MSA with some other business. All they did was download a service that allowed them to be interoperable. And it didn't have to be the same service you were using. Maybe you're using wallet A, they were using wallet Z. You were using the green one. They're using the pink one. You were using the heavy KYC one. They were using the cypherpunk one. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And so there is like just broad daylight innovation. And so like the reason Strike exists is I developed this mental model of working on the Lightning Network for such a long time. I was like, oh my God, this is like humanity is moving forward with money as a technology. And this has nothing to do. Lightning has nothing to do, in my opinion, why I think like it's key proponents and values as a network with Bitcoin being a capped supply. It has nothing to do with how often blocks are mined. It has nothing to do with this hard money, savings technology, gold. I'm a huge proponent of that. I own Bitcoin and save in Bitcoin, but let's do away with that for a second. We're talking about plain monetary network innovation. We're talking about achieving physical cash finality anywhere in the world, cheaper, faster, better, less intermediaries, more inclusive, more open than anything we've ever seen before. It is honestly unbelievable. And so the point of strike and is can we make use of it without Bitcoin the asset? Can I allow you to use a Visa debit card or a bank account or any collateral on top of this new rails of money? And so to, all the way back to your point of in the beginning of the Lightning Network, I wasn't really using it. So I don't blame you. The experience wasn't good enough and there wasn't enough of an insight that we can just make use of the network and make an experience on top of the network beautiful without succumbing you to I don't want to spend my Bitcoin. I save in Bitcoin. I want to spend it. I don't want to deal with taxes. I don't want to deal with accounting. I don't have to load it up onto a channel. I just want to link my checking account, scan QR codes, and let this new monetary network make all of my financial life cheaper, faster, better, more global, more inclusive. And so that's why Strike exists. That was the insight I have. And now I think more broadly, people are starting to value the Lightning Network as an independent monetary network in its advancement for humanity in that sense. And it should, at times, be divorced from Bitcoin, the asset, and this digital gold, hard money principled thing. Um, and so hopefully that made sense. Well, but I think that's like a perfect example. But I'm thinking forward as well on that, Jack. Like, I think of, uh, you know, excuse the analogy, but I'm thinking of El Zonte, like Wuhan, right? Wuhan, supposedly the place where uh, the coronavirus started, right? And it starts there and then, you know, like another, uh, another cluster appears outside of China, another cluster appears in, say, Italy, and then this thing just spread globally. And and based on what's happened with El Zonte, I've had a lot of emails. I've I went to Guatemala. I met the guys there. They're like, "Well, we want to do that here. We want to do that at the lake here." I've had people get in touch and say, "We need that in Lebanon." I've had people get in touch and say, "We need this in Tanzania." And I'm starting to think that the the great thing about the project in El Zonte is telling people like, "This works. This is happening." And so you 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 jump forward, and and I think, well, look, two years time, I might be going on one of my little travel routes. I might be going to. I might go to El Salvador, then Guatemala. I might hop into the US. I then might hop over to Africa, go to Nigeria and Ghana. And I can go from place to place. And all I have to have with me is a Bitcoin wallet. I don't have to think about a currency in every single location. I don't have to worry about uh, getting money out. I don't have to worry about my visa card. I can I can, I can, genuinely see a, a time where I can travel the world using Bitcoin. And the really interesting thing is I know people are doing that already, but what they're doing, they're getting into a country and they're trying to find someone who will buy some Bitcoin from them, right? Or, But we can actually get to this point where it becomes this global currency. And that to me is absolutely fucking fascinating. That's to me how we get this hyper-Bitcoinization. And, and I was talking to Ben in planning for this and, and the kind of thing we, we kind of place we came to is like the base chain narrative of Bitcoin as a store of value 
totally works. It totally is. It's totally is a saving things, like you said. But the base chain, the base narrative for the the for the Lightning Network is where Bitcoin becomes this medium of exchange. Yes, um, and I would even very subtly rephrase: all you need is a Bitcoin wallet to travel the world. I think all you need is a service that allows you to be interoperable to travel the world. Okay. And what I mean by interoperable, you know, for those at home that don't understand that term, it's being able to speak the protocol. It's being able to speak the language is that when you want to make a visa transaction at Starbucks, your visa card allows you to speak visa's language and saying, I am authorizing money to leave my visa card and enter Starbucks point of sale system. And you're speaking visa's language. You just need a service that allows you to speak the Lightning Network, and whether that's Strike, whether that's Blue Wallet, whether that's Wallet of Satoshi, if you can just have a service that allows you to speak the language, in theory, you're interoperable with the rest of the world, and it's an open system. And so there are X amount of wallets and services and developers today, and there's more tomorrow, and there's more the next day, and it exponentially grows because everyone's working on the same open thing. Uh, and so I, I think that that's beautiful, and there's a lot of merit to you're going to, you know, what another thing people don't understand is what this does for like the free world and the free market, right? Like imagine walking into a Dunkin' Donuts and there's an open interoperable QR code. It's a lightning hour QR code. You could scan it with any app you want. You could build your own wallet that's super private and that you name it and scan it. You could download cash apps. You could download Coinbase. You could download mine. You could download anything you want. It puts the power into the consumer. And it's a total free market environment. So in theory, also, the optionality is going to be exponentially infinite. Um, and it's a more beautiful world. Uh, and so I think that's where we're evolving towards is that right now when I walk into a Starbucks, if I were to ask the guy next to me, hey, how are you paying for the coffee? He'd be like, fuck you. Like, you're a fucking asshole. How the fuck do you think I'm paying for the coffee, you moron? I have a Visa card. What do you have? Right? It's know, kind of a monopoly. When I, when I go to check out, it's Apple Pay, it's Visa, MasterCard. Every, those, those companies know when I ordered my Uber, what coffee I got, all that stuff. Now when I walk in, there's an open interoperable QR code, and I ask the guy, hey, how are you paying for that? It's a great question. Oh, did you see this one on GitHub? I follow this guy on Twitter. I'm a big fan of Jack Mallory's. I really, I really believe in Jack Dorsey at Cash App. I built my own. It's running over tour in my basement. What a beautiful world. What an amazing world where the power's in the consumer. So I think I think, yeah, Visa, all these all these say anyone that's trying to achieve monetary network settlement, there's uh, there's a new king in town. And uh yeah, I kind of get with it or get out of its way. In my opinion, it's an open network, so it's not going to really wait for anybody. Well, I am kind of making the assumption that Apple Pay is going to add a Lightning wallet at some point or a Bitcoin wallet. Well, everyone needs to. Yeah. Everyone needs to. And the beautiful thing about an open system like this is that's good for Strike. Traditionally, Apple Pay comes to the market. It's subtractive for Venmo and Cash App. Why? Because if I'm using Apple Pay, I, I, I'm not using, I'm not interoperable with Cash App. My Apple Pay doesn't talk to my Cash App. My Cash App doesn't speak Venmo. My Venmo doesn't talk to my friends in Germany that use N26. Like, right? In an open network, every new network participant is additive. It's a new QR code we can scan. It's a new system participant that Strike can be integrate with. And at the end of the day, in an open system, and I've said this over and over again, it's the best experience and the best brand that wins. Not, not the biggest company that has the most cash on their balance sheet that, that got there first and that has the ear of the Federal Reserve's chairman. That's not how this system works. The system's open. 
And I, out of a women's closet, can be as competitive with Apple, who's got a trillion dollars on their balance sheet. And it's about who understands the protocol better, who's willing to invest in a better experience, and who is willing to build a better brand. So that's how we think about things at Strike. And that's why I'm really excited for everyone to come. Because everyone's going to come. It's going to increase adoption. It's going to increase services that my users are interoperable with. And I'm willing to bet that I'm going to build a better experience and a better brand than Apple when it comes to the Lightning Network. I think I can, and I think I will. There's an interesting (laughs) point on that. Look, I think you will. But listen, there's an interesting point on that as well. I was just talking to Greg Foss before this. I'm trying to catch on my interviews because I've had some time off. But he was saying the, the, the brilliant thing about the network effect of Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is now a better investment right now at $32,000 than it was at $1,000. A lot of people don't understand that. When you were buying Bitcoin at $1,000, the network wasn't as big. You know, the, the number of tools weren't as big. Lightning network wasn't as developed. You know, you look where we are now. It's actually far safer and better investment now at $32,000 than it was at $1,000. It doesn't seem logical, right? It seems expensive. People get scared of the price. But actually, right now, Bitcoin... Had, Bitcoin has achieved so much since it was $1,000. It is a better investment. Yeah, I think, you know, it depends on the context and how you define better. There's obviously less upside mathematically. Now, is there enough upside to justify it? Yeah, you and I both know know that. that. You and I both know that this this thing could trade at $500,000 before this calendar year is over. Who knows? That's totally possible. And at some point it will. I don't know when, but it will. There's plenty of upside left. But I think what he means by that is it's, it's less risky. Um, there's not, uh, there's every day Bitcoin goes on every new block. Uh, it's not going to die. If it's not going to die, it's not going to be worth $30,000. It's, it's very binary. It's either going to change the world and dematerialize money as we know it, or it's going to zero. And as more engineers, more institutions, more regulation, more everything, you, you suddenly realize it's not going to zero. And so how long are you willing to wait for it to change the world? And the answer growingly in the world population is, as long as I'm alive and as long as my kids are alive and as long as my kids' kids are alive. Like, of course. And so, yeah, also there's a point, there's a point to make too, Peter, that money is the most viral product of all time. And people don't appreciate that. Money is one of the rare products in the world that everyone on the planet uses and everyone on the planet faces the same problems, right? To your earlier point on how big the world is and the difference between El Tunco and Chicago is so overwhelming sometimes and that that information isn't widely distributed uh well the world can be that big and money is one of the rare products that we all share all share to an intimate degree we all are affected by the monetary expansion of central banks we all are going through the fiat currency experiment we all are longing for a savings technology that can persist our wealth and really justify and verify the time we spend on the planet and the labor we give to the world and money is the most viral product of all time. No one downloads an app more than if they're getting money for it or if they have access to better money, if they have access to a better investment. I don't give a fuck what hot girl friended you on Facebook. I don't care who wants you to download Twitter. Like money is the most viral product ever. And so, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a subtle point that can be missed sometimes too. Well, dude, listen, if, I'm, if I make a trading show with Willy Woo, those numbers go through the roof because people want to know how to make more money. If I make a show about how to run a lightning node, you know, it's going to be less. Naturally, people care about money. They care about their own financial position. But they have, there is now a, an incentive for people to, because there's a lot of people who are still missing out on the Bitcoin gig, right? There's still a lot of doubters, still a lot of detractors, still a lot of enemies trying to fucking attack you. But every year the network grows bigger and every year it goes stronger. And I think, 
I think right now it's never been a better time to like really start digging into to the Bitcoin story, especially for the, you know, I just did this long interview. I spoke to Dylan. I don't know if you know Dylan LeClaire over at uh, uh, Bitcoin Magazine. He's wrote, he wrote this brilliant article. Mm-hmm. It was covering like Ray Dalio's uh, theory on how the economy works, the, the video. But he, he, he came up with this great quote. He's because he said, look, this financial, this fear monetary experiment is failing. We have like 400% uh, debt to GDP ratio globally. There is going to be a great deleveraging. And he said the debt jubilee will be in, in the future, the debt jubilee will be known as hyper Bitcoinization. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, I think I've said this on this podcast before. What, what, uh, my favorite thing that my stepmom does, the Bitcoin mom, is she'll ask me, why'd the price go up or why'd the price go down? The real answer is some days people buy more Bitcoin than they sell, and that means the price in theory goes up, and sometimes people sell more Bitcoin than they buy, and that is when the price goes down. And it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. And I think the same about this general topic is that Bitcoin is the best money mankind has ever come across. Uh, we built it with our bare hands. That's another underappreciated point. It's the only money that we've built with our hands <laughs> from scratch. It's We designed it to be perfect. And it's the only time we've been able to do that. And being perfect involves being digital. Being perfect involves being ultimately inclusive to everyone on the planet. Being perfect involves defined scarcity. Being perfect involves known issuance. Being perfect involves divisibility. Being perfect involves ability to audit and identify and not trust and verify. All of these things. And we built it with our bare hands. And it is, in fact, factually the best money of all time. And so, yeah, whatever, whether this there's this GDP debt ratio whether COVID blew everything up, like to my stepmom's point, it's like, oh, did you see what Sailor tweeted? Or maybe it was because Elon Musk is in a bad mood. It's like, listen, Brooke, either people bought more Bitcoin today or people sold more Bitcoin today, but it doesn't matter. And and whether COVID did this or Trump's the president or Biden's going to pay for my little brother's college tuition by printing money, it doesn't matter. Is that over a long enough time frame, the best money wins, money's a viral product, and it's an open network and an open system, and it's inclusive to all, and it's arguably one of the most disruptive things that's ever been introduced in humanity. So I, I think, yeah, like, I don't know, like, pick your winner. Sure, it was this GDP debt thing, whatever, I don't fucking know. Uh, but you, you know what I mean? I do, I do, <laughs> dude, I do, dude. But I'm just like, I feel like sometimes I have to, I try and get it through to people, what's going on, because, you know, there are going to be winners and losers in this debt jubilee, right? And hope the winners are the people who are going to be holding Bitcoin and the losers are going to be the ones who are going to avoid it uh, during the great deleverage and that, that is coming. Next up, Jack and I talk more about Bitcoin being the best money. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. Okay, let's talk about sportsbet.io, the best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin and I am planning another trip out to Estonia to see them soon. I haven't caught up with them for a while. I want to go and catch up with them, find out what they're doing. They've done a lot for Bitcoin. They are the team that put a Bitcoin logo on the Southampton shirt, right on the front. So when you're watching Premier League football and you see a Bitcoin logo, that is down to sportsbet.io. And also, go and check out the new Southampton away shirt they've just released. It looks badass. I would even wear that. It's cool. What they're doing, they're supporting football, and they're also the betting partner of Arsenal. Now, with sportsbet.io, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They even have esports. 
And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And next up, we have Exodus Wallet, who I will be using as my mobile and desktop wallet for all of my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when Exodus reached out, I spent some time playing with the app because they wanted to support the podcast. But I was like, guys, I've got to check it out first. And you know what? They crushed the experience. So I am happy to recommend it to my friends, my family and you, the listeners. And now Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And this week, we're finishing off with Casa, my good friends over at Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again, because with the Casa multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And these are ones which you get to distribute into different locations, and that's going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I've been a customer for over a year. You can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. I'll tell you about my experience. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. If you want to find out more, head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. We can't cover this topic, though, without discussing remittance as well. And I want to get a little bit more into that because there's like a, there's like a viral effect with this remittance thing at the moment. Um, you've introduced Strike into El Salvador. It is a tool for remittance. You can send dollars from the US into El Salvador for free instantly and avoiding a number of the problems of you know having to get off your couch, get a bus, go to a remittance service, have the security risk of picking up your cash. There's so many benefits. Uh, but the, the, the main benefit is that you can send any amount at any time free and instant. It destroys the use case of these uh, vulture remittance companies. And what's happened off that, the viral effect? I told you I got an email from somebody from our country today said, we need strike here, here. We've had uh, the guy in Tonga talking about 42, 41% of their GDP is remittance. Okay, we've had, oh, who was the other? Lebanon at the moment. People in Lebanon saying we need strike. Like everyone is saying we need a tool for remittance, which is going to, uh, which is going to offer this kind of free and instant uh, uh, sending of cash. But ultimately... These poorer countries, which rely on remittance, is going to increase the GDP. It's actually a beneficial tool to the government as well. So let's talk about mm-hmm. how you've achieved this. Let's talk about what it is that you can do with the Lightning Network to change remittance. Yeah. So revisiting why we think it's this you know, monumental advancement for human history as money as technology is that we're able to achieve physical bare instrument settlement in less than a second and at virtually no cost. Now, there's a few reasons why that's so important. Um, but first, let me just walk through the user story. So I'm a United States user, and I have my bank account linked to Strike. And let's say there's a user, Peter, who's in the UK. He has his bank account linked uh, to some app, uh, Strike as well, or, or he's at some other application. Uh, what we're able to do because of this new monetary network is when I want to send Peter 100 US dollars and he wants to receive that money as pounds, what's going to happen 
is Stripe's going to take the 100 US dollars out of my bank account, live convert it programmatically to Bitcoin in a way in which it can be usable as the most efficient way possible on top of the Lightning Network. Then it's going to send that Bitcoin across an ocean into a new jurisdiction, into a new border, right? A new country in less than a second and at no cost. No intermediaries involved, no fees involved. It achieved final clearance, not like credit was issued, like a physical bare instrument that carries real value that is Bitcoin. It's digital. It actually landed physically as if you close your eyes and you're watching this Bitcoin walk across the ocean in real time and get to the UK, right? But it happened in less than a second. It happened for free. And then we can convert it right back into pounds because this digital bear instrument, it's global. It has the liquidity profile in any currency you could ever dream of. So of course I could trade it right back into pounds and I give it to Peter. And all of a sudden the dollars that are sitting in Chicago at Chase became pounds in Peter's Barclays account instantly and at no cost. Uh, and so another really important thing to note is that Visa, for example, another very popular monetary network, they charge traditionally 2.9% per transaction to achieve clearance. Now that 2.9% may be on like a $500 transaction. What about a $10 transaction? Is it still 2.9%? No, it's way higher. What about on a $1 transaction? Is it 2.9%? No, it's probably like 60%, right? And so what I'm getting at is that there are fixed fees and necessary intermediaries that exist in the legacy system that price out a smaller economic goal. It's very, very, very important to know when it comes to remittance. And when it comes to all of these countries, is that the remittance size of payment to and from El Salvador is like $100. And so when you're like, oh, I just sent money from the US to the UK over transfer wise, and they only charge me a percent or two, what's the big whoop? Well, it's like, well, if you were to try and do that with $10, it wouldn't be a percent or two. And so these people, the average income in El Salvador and the town Peter and I were living in was $300 a month. So $100 remittance payments make or break your month. And if the fees, because of the fixed costs associated, can exceed 50%, I mean, that's, that's huge. So not only do you have a monetary network that can achieve physical settlement cheaper, faster, better, more global, it's a bare instrument, so it's physical, so it could be traded in and out of any currency. You don't have to touch Bitcoin. You have to be exposed to the volatility, the taxes. You don't have to sell it because you think it's going to go up. You're just using this new novel rail but this new novel rail also opens up a new economy of remittance because I can send a $1 remittance payment now. I could send a $10, $100 remittance payment now. I could stream remittance. I could send $1 every second. I can get my paycheck streamed to me. All of a sudden, there's just a new concept that there is no MDR. There is no interchange. There is no intermediary and fixed costs associated with achieving clearance. All of a sudden, that's solved. And the world opens up, the world gets a lot bigger. And a lot of these countries, like, of course they're interested. Like, this isn't, this is like, if I'm a sitting president, these are some of the biggest problems I have to solve. And like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's like one of the greatest inventions in human history for money. Like, wow, it's not a coincidence. Like, people are like, wow, what happened in El Salvador? Do you, you feel lucky? Yes, I feel lucky, blessed, humbled. But also at the same time, like, you have to carry the confidence. This was supposed to happen. Like there's a lot of hard work that went into this and this makes sense. Like it's validating. Yeah, it is. But it was kind of like for you, it was like a, a light bulb moment because I don't think anyone had really thought about using the Lightning Network as a payment rails the way you had at that point, right? People were thinking about the Lightning Network as a way of sending sats to each other, not as a way of sending 
pounds to dollars and dollars to pounds or pounds to yen. So it was a complete yeah. rethink of how you can use the Bitcoin network. Yeah, I've told this story before. But I know, but I love it. The whole, the whole thing, it's really amazing. I had a girlfriend at the time, now very single. Art, maybe one of the reasons I am single is because I was so obsessed with Bitcoin and this is what I was doing while we were in Paris. But we were in a hotel in Paris and I had this insight out of nowhere. I was like, oh my God. Because, you know, for context, I was working on Zap, which is this open source lightning wallet. I'm 27 years old now. I'm coming up on a decade of being involved in Bitcoin. So I'm so intimately familiar with this asset. It's my entire life. I've given my entire life to Bitcoin. I plan on giving the rest of my life to Bitcoin. So I know it like the back of my hand, right? And so I'd spent so much time working on the Lightning Network, working on the protocol, understanding Bitcoin. And I had this light bulb moment where I was like, hold on a second. What Lightning actually achieves is the most impressive open monetary network of all time. And yes, it's cool that Bitcoin's digital gold and stuff, but is there a division between the two? And can I build a financial experience akin to a Venmo or a Cash App, but just use a more efficient monetary network where Cash App is ACH plus the Square network and Venmo is ACH plus the PayPal network? Can I build ACH plus the Bitcoin and Lightning network? And if true, that will be the biggest, like best financial experience in the world. And I will help usher in one of the more upsweeping disruptions in money services as we know it. And that was, I, ha I was sitting in a hotel in Paris and I was sketching in this notebook and my girlfriend at the time was like really mad at me and then later like dumped me. And, but I kept going and then I convinced my team. I, I th th there, there's a, a whole bunch of funny stories. I convinced my team we were doing this hackathon with Square, um, which was like kind of true. Square was like kind of interested in what I was working on. They were always trying to hire me. Um, and so I convinced them like, please believe me, this is a huge deal. We hacked together strike. I wrote this blog post and then the rest is history. But it was this really novel insight that maybe lightning as a monetary network is extraordinarily disruptive in its own unique ways when compared to existing monetary networks. And it's not simply a way to make Bitcoin on the base chain, like move quicker and make sure that you're withdrawal fees from Kraken are not that bad. Actually, maybe there's a lot more to this story. And I don't know how I got that light bulb, but uh, it was in a hotel in Paris with my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she fucked up. Um, I, spend a, I spend a lot of time in America, right? And uh, people are always like, oh, let, you know, we go out for dinner or drinks, whatever. Oh, I'll just venue, I'll Venmo you the money. I'm like, I don't have Venmo. And they're like, what do you mean you don't have Venmo? I was like, I'm in the UK. We don't have Venmo. And the way I always explain to Strike to people, it's like essentially with Strike, you've built an international Venmo. You've, bought a, you've built a borderless Venmo. Yeah. Well, Lightning and Bitcoin is a borderless, open, yeah. interoperable monetary network. And all Strike is, again, the, the decisions we make internally as a company, some of the culture that we have is, it's based on two things. Are we bettering the experience? Are we bettering the brand? And that's it. And the reason is all Strike attempts to be is one of the best experiences on this open monetary network. But the key insight is that there's not a Strike network and we don't want there to be, is that not only have we been built an international Venmo, but also we do talk to the second version of Strike and the pink version of Strike and the blue version of Strike and the cypherpunk version of a lightning wallet and the corporate version of what we all speak together because we're all on the same open standard, which is so explosive and so powerful. Imagine if your uh, Revolut wallet could talk to your cash app. 
you'd be able to have access to X amount more users, X amount more currencies, X amount more efficiencies, but they're not on the same monetary network. Cash App's on the Square monetary network, Revolut's on the Revolut monetary network. But what if we all move to the best monetary network of all time? And the other interesting thing, Peter, is that these companies don't want to move. There's a reason. They're not dumb. They, and, and another thing is I write all my blog posts in broad daylight. I do these podcasts very, very transparently. I don't hold a secret. I'm a man. I, I wear my heart on my chest. I wear my heart on my sleeve, That whatever that saying is. These companies don't want to leave because PayPal's company value, corporate value, public market cap, it is the value of the monetary network they've built. And so by succumbing to the fact that there's a better one and an open one and one that a kid in high school can build a wallet on, and that when I walk into Starbucks, I could use a 13-year-old kid's wallet as I can use my PayPal, and maybe his wallet's cheaper. Maybe his wallet is pink. Maybe his wallet works better in my hometown. I don't know. All of a sudden, I'm opening myself to a tremendous amount of competition. It's a race to the bottom, and the value of my proprietary PayPal network went from $300 billion to zero overnight. And so they're not even incentivized to move over, but it has to happen eventually. And so the way I see strike and why I'm so open and aggressive and flagrant at times is because I'm calling your bluff. I'm calling your bluff. I got you where I want you. Your back is against the wall in the corner and I don't even have to try. The craziest thing, Peter, I'm the only wallet in this field compared to the Cash App, Venmo. Let's take Cash App, Venmo, Revolut, and Strike. Every one of the CEOs tells everyone else, take the year off. Everyone at Cash App, don't write another line of code. Venmo, don't write another line of code. Revolut, don't design anything else. No more customer support. Same thing with Strike. I'm the only financial app that will be better by the end of the year. Everyone else will be worse. How? Because my monetary network gets better every single day. Lightning Labs is working on it. MIT professors are working on it. This company's integrating it. My product gets better without me working on it because I'm in an open system that's shared and collective and open networks come with network effects and economies of scale. All these other services, they cannot compete with it. And so I'm waiting for them to succumb and resign. And it's fun. I'm having a blast. But that's how I think about things. <laughs> All right. So, so what, what are your limitations? Because like, I've seen strike in action. I've been there. I've seen you use it. I've seen. I've, I've been there in El Salvador with you. But like I say, I've got. I must have had at least ten emails from different countries from people saying we need strike. We need strike. What's what are your limitations to get in this truly out there and global? What what are the constraints for you adding countries? Because I think people listening, especially people listening in more economically challenged places or places that rely on, rely on remittances. They're going to say, when can we have strikes? So what are the physical limitations of you guys just going a global um, sweep? It's like doing anything. Like what's the limitation of you being uh, with a six pack and benching 400 pounds? I mean, you got to get there. You got to start lifting and then get to one country, get to 10, get to 100. Um, it just takes time to execute. It takes great people, right? So very actively hiring uh, compliance is a huge issue. One of the problems with the segregation of the world, that's different borders, different religions, different cultures, different monies, is that it's really intensive to integrate 200 different things, right? So, right, like when we launch Europe, we'll make a significant leap. Now we'll be, we'll go from two countries to over 30. 
and then we do the UK and then we go through South America, either Central, right? Whatever we, whatever we go about, like it just takes time and it takes people to execute these things and enable a great experience and a great brand. You can't just kind of like snap, turn it on. Like in the U S there's ACH and the EU there's SEPA and El Salvador, they're not banked. And so it doesn't matter what banking rails I try and integrate. I actually need to build 200 plus cash points physically with my bare hands to touch the unbanked and ensure that those operating on a cash standard can get liquidity. But in this country, it may be different and require a different license. And so all that to say, you know me, I am the most relentless force of all time. I stop at nothing. Nothing will get in my way. I will die on this hill. And so I'm working on it very actively. And you can see I'm making progress, but it's not necessarily a very trivial thing to accomplish. And it doesn't really help that we're first. There's no framework on how to do this. It kind of requires flying to El Salvador and doing what we did. And then I'll probably get on another plane soon and uh, do it all again. Right. So, dude, I've watched you play one on one basketball with your best friend. The, <laughs> uh, uh, what was that team? Where, where were we? Can we say? Are we allowed to say? Yeah, Indiana Pacers. Yeah, so we're in their training. Like, I don't know if I told this last time we spoke. We're in the Pacers um, training center, and it's uh, you and Dylan and who's the other guy who was there? There was the three of you. Xander, our Xander. head of like, partnerships. I gotta tell this. Like, mm-hmm. I know, I know, Jack's competitive as, as fuck, but they're playing one on one or one on one three way. I, I mean, I don't know basketball. I don't know how you call it. Anyway, playing away, having their game, and then the the guy who's like uh, the coach guy who's in there. He said, right. Next basket wins. We have it when we play five aside. Let's go wins. Fucking Jack, like that second, like turned into the Incredible Hulk version of a basketball player and he had to win, man. I know you, you competitive fucker. You're going to do this. All right, well, listen, look, sweet. You're on it. You're going to do it. You're going to roll this shit out. Um, I, 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 I believe in you. Like, I, I know I know you're going to do this. I know you're going to get this strike thing rolled out everywhere. I want to have it here in the UK. I need it because I want to be able to send money back and forth across to my friends over in uh, El Salvador. Uh, I want to be able to send them some dollars as well as some Bitcoin. But I also want to talk a little bit more about the future of Strike. Like, there's a lot been going on. You've made a couple of announcements since I've seen you last. You're because to me, Strike was an app to send pounds and dollars to each other, is to send money abroad. But but you're also a Bitcoin company. You've added in Bitcoin buying. You came out there pretty bold, pretty hardcore blog post talking about adding in essentially zero fee Bitcoin buy-in. Talk to me about your strategy there, what what you're adding in to strike, what that meant, what your attitude was, because it was a pretty bold and typical Jack Manners fuck you uh, blog post. Yeah, I love it. I live for this. Um, okay, so the announcement is that we're going to let you buy Bitcoin just like you can at Coinbase or Cash App or Kraken, um, but we're not going to charge anything outside of the cost it takes us to execute, which is most traditionally just the market spread. Uh, And so right now, as of talking, that's just around or below 30 basis points, so 0.3%. And if things go according to plan, and just generally speaking, the way the terms go, as we scale our numbers and as more people use it, we onboard people off the wait list and we make it public, then that drives itself to very close to zero, well below 0.1%. And the reason that that's this shot heard around the world is traditionally buying Bitcoin for a retail investor can be on Coinbase upwards of 4%. So you're talking about you know fees that are, and it's a, it's a sharp, sharp decline. Um, but the meaning behind it carries a ton more depth. <laughs> and and I, I feel like I'm playing chess versus you know people that think they're playing bingo. Um, here's the meaning. 
Uh, in the first quarter, Coinbase had $1.8 billion worth of revenue. Uh, 94% of that was charging fees to acquire digital assets. And, you know, sure, they have a million digital assets, but it was almost all Bitcoin, right? And so the 4%, 3.9%, 2.9% they're charging users uh, is their entire business. That's the point I'm trying to make, is without it, they wouldn't have a functional business, Okay. Now, to understand markets, open markets, selling open source money, uh, gener but generally looking at the equities market before Bitcoin existed, it's a race to the bottom. Okay, You cannot have a defensible business that charges 4% because someone's going to come along and charge 3.9%. And the next guy's going to come along and charge 3.8%. And you saw this in the equities market. Now, executing an equity trade is free. That's called Robinhood. Okay, and so those that thought they were building a defensible business by charging four percent to buy equities, now don't they aren't in business, and Robinhood is where everyone goes to buy, and so anyone with a brain cell knows that. Okay, and so you started to see that you started to see Cash App come in, and they didn't charge two point nine percent; they charged two point five ish. Venmo came in, charged two point four five ish. Swan Bitcoin comes in, charges a little less. River Financial comes in, charges a little less. And you're starting to see the free market work itself out. But instead of me coming in and charging a little less, I went straight to zero. And I want to explain this point. And I'm sorry, I know I ran. It's going to be long-winded. Do it, man. But I think do it's it. really important. So why did I go straight to zero? Be like, Jack, you know, people are going to buy on strike. You should charge 10 basis points. You should charge 50 basis points. It'll still be cheaper than Coinbase. It'll be cheaper than Cash App. You can make some money. No. This is a chess move. This is a point I want to make flagrantly to the Brian Armstrongs of the world. Peter, the biggest companies on the planet are open network companies. Okay, What that means, Facebook, Twitter, Google, what do these companies have in common? Their open network is the internet. They operate on an open network that's ultimately inclusive to all, and all it requires is a simple connection, and they have access to their products. That allows these companies to have the biggest target audience in the world, which is the entire planet, which is the global population. So the reason Facebook can be so big is because everyone on the planet, in theory, can have a Facebook account. And now almost everyone does. I think Facebook's user growth is into the billions, right? Same with Twitter. Same with Google. If you look at the worth of one individual user on a Facebook, it's not worth the same as a PayPal or a Cash App or a Chase Bank. No, but they have more of them because they're an open network company. Open network companies have a target audience of 8 billion people, and that is an inherent property that makes them unbelievable. That's why there's this giant sweep of internet companies because you can build one product that can be used by 8 billion people, never seen before the internet, ever. Okay. Now, the problem that these open network companies have is that they don't have a native business model. Mark Zuckerberg appears in front of Congress two times a quarter. Everyone hates the guy. Facebook's brand is terrible. Twitter's brand is terrible. Google's brand is terrible. Why? Because the only business model they've been able to manufacture comes at the cost of the relationship they have with their user. Their user is the product. They have to sell private data. They have to go against their privacy policy. They have to constantly apologize. They have a terrible brand, and it's limited the company's upside. It's limited their ability to grow. And what you're now seeing with Twitter spaces and Twitter tip jar or Facebook getting into cryptocurrency or now Google is they're trying to fix that. They're trying to reestablish the brand and the long-term viability of their business and unwind the fact that their very user is who they abuse to make money. 
Okay. Now, if you take a cash app, for example, they have the opposite problem. They have a great brand. So good that rappers rap about them and wear their fucking clothes. The reason they're not bigger than Facebook is because their target audience is a very select group in the U.S. And in order to reach 8 billion people, it's infeasible to scale the square monetary network that big. Okay? So I say all that to say, here's a high-level view of how these bigger companies operate. And if I'm like this you know, macro trading analyst, I'm giving everyone uh, free advice, right? So that's how to think about it. Now, let's look at Strike. This is why I think Strike will be one of the biggest companies on planet Earth. And it's not because I'm super cool or CTO is super smart, although both of those are true. I'm like the coolest motherfucker ever. Everyone knows that. But the reason is because we are an open network company too. What's our open network? Bitcoin and Lightning. And that I could build a product that could be used by all 8 billion people. Yeah, it may take me 12 to 24 months. That's not a lot of time right? Strike's already growing incredibly fast. And so I am an open network company, similar to a Facebook, similar to a Google, similar to a Twitter, where I can build a product accessible by 8 billion people. However, I am a financial services firm. I know how I'm going to make money. I don't have to sell years of data. I don't have to, I don't ever plan on appearing before Congress. I don't ever plan on surfing with an American flag on the 4th of July, like Zuckerberg and becoming the most hated man on the planet, right? I actually think Strike will become one of the more powerful consumer brands on the planet because we have the business acumen and profile of a financial services firm like a cash app, and we could build a brand that's tremendously powerful in line and incentivized with our users. But we are an open network business like an internet company, and we have access to all 8 billion people. So all that to say, Bitcoin enables companies to be that disruptive and be that big. The biggest companies in the world in five to 10 years will be Bitcoin companies because they'll be open network, internet-like companies, but financial services firms who make a ton of money because the value of a single user is known and how to make money on them is known and it's incentivized. The biggest retailer in the world is using Strikes API to process payments and we charge them 10 basis points compared to Visa charging them 300. We're making money. They're saving money. Our users are getting more rewards and having a better experience. Everyone wins. Everyone wins. Now, all this long rant to say, Brian Armstrong whiffed. He fucked this up big time. He just missed it. He missed this opportunity. And it shows a very fundamental lack of understanding of why Bitcoin's important, how Bitcoin was going to scale, how the Lightning Network works, why it's the best monetary network on the planet, why it's going to usher in this disruption, and how the ultimate scalable business model of a financial Bitcoin company is charging the biggest retail in the world 10 basis points versus Visa's 300. And that you cannot charge and live on 4% for retail to buy Bitcoin because it's a race to the bottom and it's going to go to zero anyway. And buying Bitcoin on an app is a feature. It's not a business. It's a competitive market. It's a race to the bottom. And you saw that in the equities market. And so what Brian Armstrong somehow did to his own fault and that's why I'm calling him out, is he tried to replicate the equities market. He found his business advantage as I'm a first mover. I was here first. I have the most licenses. And sure, Jack, you can sell Bitcoin, but I sell Algorand coin and pink coin and left sock coin and barbecue chicken coin. And so you can never compete with me because I've built this regulatory moat and this first mover advantage. And what he's done is he's built a proxy long positions on altcoins, which make no sense, right? And he's replicated the equities market. 
and he doesn't understand everything that I'm saying. And when I, when I, what I'm doing, obviously I'm building a great experience. Obviously I think the best financial experience, you should be able to acquire Bitcoin in many ways for as cheap as possible, but more so what I'm doing by expediting this race to the bottom to zero, maybe Brian Armstrong thought he had three to five years to figure this out. Well, guess what, dude, you got three to five weeks and you're fucked. And I, I'm, it's like the big short, I'm calling you out. So now I'm building a leverage long position on Bitcoin being the true innovation in cryptocurrency, that digital scarcity scarcity does have value, and that altcoins are implied unintended inflation to the asset class. And that if you have 1 million monetary networks that aren't interoperable with each other, all you've done is recreate an inefficient monetary network system that we already have today, and it doesn't develop any innovation. I'm making a bet that Bitcoin and Lightning are the innovation, and they are going to last. Altcoins are going to die, and that my business model of using an efficient, better monetary network and using buying Bitcoin for free as an acquisition is going to margin call you. And I'm pawn to E4, your move, because I think you fucked up. I think you recreated an equities brokerage, and you didn't learn anything from the past, and you didn't take the time to understand Bitcoin. And the same brand that Mark Zuckerberg has that's so tarnished, now you have. Bitcoin core developers hate you. Bitcoiners hate you. You have to act against the best interest of those that very built this industry by listing shit coins and going against everything that we always say and all the forks that we're going to break this industry. You have to support because the fundamental flaw in which you built your business on and you fucked up and it's been long enough and I'm sick of it. And I finally got old enough and in my mid to late 20s to build my own company and call your bluff. I'm not sure I follow that up, Jack. <laughs> Dude, you called him out in our first interview. We did in Boston. What was it? Three years ago? Two years ago? You called him out then? Yeah, I was like a teenager. Now. I'm you old were, enough. Dude, dude, dude I figured it out. And now I have a product and a brand and I'm doing it the right way. You know, strikes, fun- fundamentals. How can we do the IndyCar thing? Why is that a good business move? It's because I'm building a brand. No wonder Saquon Barkley calls me when he needs advice. No wonder a president calls me when they need advice because I have the leverage to act in the best interest of Bitcoin or else, frankly, I would shut strike down if I ever fucked that up. I'm a so Bitcoiner gonna, before anything else. So you're going to kill PayPal, Coinbase, Western Union. You're going to crush them all. I mean, listen, like I'm a competitive guy, like you said, on the basketball court. So I'm always looking to win no matter what I do. But I think I'm building the biggest company on the planet. I think, but I think it's in our DNA. I think all of these Bitcoin companies will eventually be this big. It's, it's like Bitcoin internet companies enabled this new massive uprise in business because of the open network property. The one flaw it had is none of these companies have an inherent business model. Bitcoin companies get to retain the open network property, but get the business models of financial services firms. And in theory, if the more people understand this, the more companies will be built, the more people will build financial services firms on top of Lightning as opposed to building their own monetary network. The world will be efficient. The world will evolve. Disruption will happen. This is how humanity works and like why human beings are different than other species. And I think I, I like I think Strike is is in a great spot. And I'm very confident about that clearly. And I'm willing to bet on myself over and over and over again. Dude, I wouldn't bet against you. I played chess against you and you could have played with your eyes shut. And you could have beaten me 100 times in 100 games. By the way, did you win the chess.com tournament? I'm assuming you did. I didn't play. I uh, was in the middle of like all the El Salvador stuff, unfortunately. 
Well, listen, dude. Well, listen, that's a great way to finish it. I love talking to you, man. I miss you. Hopefully, I'm going <laughs> to see you soon. I'm back Ended out it with a huge, typical rant where I talk for five minutes straight. And shout at Brian Armstrong. Um, I'm going to be back out in El Salvador in August for a couple of weeks. I'm going to be coming back out to the US. I'm going to come and find you wherever the fuck you are. We're going to catch up. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. We're going to go and eat. I'm going to see Dylan. Um, love you, brother. Just keep doing this, man. appreciate you. Everything you're doing, keep crushing it. I love you too, buddy. Thanks for having me as always. And uh, I'll see you when I see you. Stay healthy. I'm healthy, man. All right. Right. Typical Jack, right? What a monster that guy is. Now, he is absolutely crushing it at the moment and he's definitely not slowing down. When he says he is building the biggest company in the world, he's dead serious and I wouldn't bet against him. Having spent a lot of time with him, seeing how competitive he is, I know he's going to definitely give it his shot. But also, look, yesterday we've now seen that Jack Dorsey has announced that Square is launching a new company. And to quote him on Twitter, they're focused on building an open developer platform with the sole goal of making it easy to create non-custodial, permissionless and decentralized financial services. Bitcoin companies are pushing the envelope and growing this monetary network. Companies like Stripe, companies like Square, they are doing amazing things for people around the world who want to use Bitcoin. They're making money easy to use, easy to transfer, permissionless. They're making people self-sovereign. This is amazing. It's just just an amazing thing to see. I think we're in for some massive developments over these next few years. Anyway, listen, I hope you enjoyed this one. If you do want to reach out, the best place is in our Telegram group. I drop in there from time to time, and Ben is always in there answering questions. Otherwise, you can hit me up on my email address, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you want to support the show... And I've told you this every week, probably since I launched the show. Just drop me a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps with the show. It will take you about two minutes. Outside of that, it's Friday. I'm off to Silverstone. I'm going to go and watch the Grand Prix. The doctor's given me the clear. I can go and sit and watch the race. So I'm going to go and enjoy that. It's sunny outside. I hope it's sunny where you are. I love you all, and I will see you all next week. <laughs>